Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Okay, welcome back or welcome to Ted and Yogi's Pac-12 Adventure presented by Believe. We're excited to be part of that crew and that team. We are back on Zoom. We were in person last time, part of the uh, team over there at Believe and BetOnline.com. So check all those things out. Fellas, we got a lot to talk about. Ted Robinson, Michael Molinari, Yogi Roth here. CFP just came out as of about 24 hours ago or so. We see five teams ranked in the Pac-12, five from the SEC. Pretty nice job by the Pac. With that said, we're on our way to Salt Lake City this weekend. Probably the final time we'll be there this year. Snow on the ground there. It's raining here with Michael and I. Ted, you know that means bad driving in Southern California right now. (laughs) We had it yesterday in the Bay Area. Oh, okay, okay. Much needed, though. It was great to have it. Amen. All right. So uh, how are we doing? I guess let's start at the top. So, Go ahead, Ted. So, so no, the CFP, first First of all, if I'm an Oregon fan, I'm happy. Yep. Because the fact they were ranked the first Pac-12 team means the 49-3, to at least first glance, isn't crippling to their, to their hopes. Um, if I'm USC fan, I'm a little bit peeved because my only loss has been by one point at the end of the game on the home field of the defending conference champ. I would be a little bit concerned about the fact that I'm behind Oregon. Uh, UCLA, I, I'm assuming that the non-con schedule is the factor there. I know some Utah people are saying, wait a minute, we beat USC, but you have two losses. And you've been the second highest, or you, they had been the highest ranked two loss team. LSU has now moved ahead of them, but still the two loss equation knocks them out of the top four. That's not going to happen. So. Point being, I guess the the key story to me was where Oregon would land. And the fact they were top among the pack to me was, if I'm an Oregon fan, that's hopeful. Michael, what do you think? Well, I'd just add, if you said at the first CFP rankings, Pac-12 would have three teams in the top 12, I think we'd all be pretty, the conference would be pretty pleased with that. Um, The way we've, as uh, Coach Whittingham put it when we were last there for the Oregon State game, this conference has cannibalized itself year in, year out. And it, I think the interesting thing to me is there's a top and there's definitely a bottom this year, which is pretty rare. There's usually a, a pretty big middle and maybe a team that's really down. But now there's, you know, and it's not good for them. There's three or four teams that are pretty down, but that's allowed for the upper echelon maybe to uh, not be cannibalized, if you will. Uh, to one other note. This is not an Oregon green. This is a Notre Dame green uh, living up to my bet um, with Ted. They uh, destroyed the Irish or the Irish destroyed the orange last week. My grandkids orange paint. My grandkids orange paint is right there. My, the yeah, I was ready to go it's on the floor. I was ready to go. Yep. And I got a little yeah. nervous at the end of the third quarter, but the, yes, but the only thing more Syracuse would have been had they beaten Clemson and then lost against Montpelier. So that would have been more Syracuse. Like that would have helped us. We would have been a little higher in the CFP too. That would have been good for everybody. But I'll tell you who I'll, I'll tell you who would be yo know, to me, the fan that's going to be a little bit chapped about CFP's Michigan. Yeah, and and again, I'm assuming it's the same as UCLA. They're non-cons being held against them now. Of course, Michigan has their fate in their hands. They all they have to do is take care of Ohio State. They'll be fine. Um, but I'm just saying it, it's fascinating to me that that seemed to be I was I was very surprised. Let's put it that way, that, that Michigan was not in the top four. Yeah. All right. Let, let's beat this up for a few minutes. I think it's I think it's worth it. Um, 
with that said, I want to just knock this ad out real quick because it, it, we're excited to have this partner. But basketball, as all of you know, is back, and Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. And as your continued source for all sports wagering information, Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. It's the fastest, easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events. NFL, NBA, NHL, hoops, football, boxing, you name it, even golf. Go to betonline.ag to join. Receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure you use the promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your awards. Bet online where the game starts. So the game, TCU has won their games. I'd be most upset if I'm them. Before AP ranked teams. Nobody has come close to doing anything like that. I understand why Tennessee is one. Totally get it. But to me, I was really intrigued to see where TCU would land. To the point of Clemson, I'd put Oregon, SC, UCLA, Utah. If you put them up against Clemson in a neutral site game, I'd be curious what Vegas would even say. Yeah. Let alone what people who watch the games would say. Clemson does not look like the best or a top four undefeated team. Michigan higher than TCU higher than them in, in my opinion. So I thought that was surprising. And then my last note that really stood out was when Reese Davis interviewed the chair of the committee. He said, you know, how do you evaluate conferences? And he said, we don't value conferences. Yeah. We don't take that into consideration. Well, it, it made my ears perk up because I feel like the SEC conference because of Texas A&M got valued really high. Texas A&M is a three win team right now in conference play. They have not played well. They have not moved the ball. They've struggled offensively. They've played multiple quarterbacks. Well, Ole Miss beat a bad a and team by three, ranked 11. Bama getting credit for being a bad a and team at home and getting credit there. So to me, that's where I was like, well, is the conference kind of getting a little bit of weight in that regard? We'll, we'll see as the year goes on. But I was like, man, a and was like the team that stood out to me because it seemed to pull up some yeah. of those teams that like, I don't know. Like, well, that, that was one that stood out to me. Man. So, so yoga, I would tell you this, um, Jamie Zaninovich, who's deputy commissioner of this conference and extraordinarily smart. And he was on the basketball selection committee uh, when he was the commissioner of the West coast conference. And he has told me from being in the room, that's the absolute way the basketball tournament is done. Teams are presented without any conference attachment. You're presented with your numbers, your resume, all the data, blah, blah, blah. And then of course the eye test comes in. We all know it's humans but there's no conference attachment. I'm assuming that that would be the same thing. Now, CFP is a different group of people, but I assume it's the same. But let's also say it's human beings. And we all know the SEC starts the season with a seven-point first quarter lead, okay? We know that. They've scored seven points before anybody plays a game. They're ahead. No different than the Heisman Trophy voting. So they can tell me all they want, but that's the reality. Um, I'm looking at the TCU and, and I didn't remember this, who they played non-con yoga at Colorado, Tarleton, and then SMU, which was the Sonny Dykes game. So I'm assuming that's the reason. Again, their non-con is not very challenging. Ohio State at least had Notre Dame, which when they played them was a very highly ranked team. Now, Notre Dame is going to have its chance to be your best friend, Yoga, this week. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because we because they have Clemson in South Bend. So if Notre Dame can rally and play above themselves for a week, that would disrupt that. And we know TCU and Clemson are going to have to lose a game somewhere because a power five undefeated champion is going to be in, right? Yeah. 
I mean, the so, SEC is the one. Alabama is the team that should be nervous right now because they have a loss. And, you know, the SEC feels the, they have the entitlement. We're going to get two out of four anyway. Well, not if you have an undefeated Power Five conference champ, right? I mean, Cincinnati last year was an out of, it was a group of five and got in. But if you have a TCU and or Clemson, and if they both go undefeated and run the table, that's going to be fascinating, right? You're not going to leave either one of them out. No. And, and, you sh- and, and I, and I agree with that. I think if you're undefeated, I, I remember when I was a young coach at SC, I thought just winning every game was easy because that's what you saw from the outside. And then when you're in that thing, like going undefeated is so hard. Like every week you feel Absolutely. that burden. Uh, the, the thing that I think will be really intriguing, uh, let's just lay it out for, for Oregon fans specifically. You're cheering for Tennessee this weekend or Mike Leach in Mississippi State next weekend to beat Georgia. Try to get them out of the picture. If not, you want them to run the table because the worst thing would be if they lost in the SEC title game. Like the, the worst thing that would happen for that league because then you get in the debate. One that was posed to me last night that I thought was pretty intriguing, I want to hear what you think about it, is let's just say, whatever, Tennessee wins, Georgia wins, doesn't matter. But then they lose in the SEC title game to Alabama. And you have a one-loss Alabama team who wins the SEC and you have a one-loss Oregon who goes undefeated in conference play for the first time in history. And what we, I think even the general public would say the Pac-12 is the most challenging it's been, uh, the most talented it's been in years. Oregon will have played every team ranked right now if they have to, had to happen to play USC in the title game. If you had a one-loss Oregon team and a one-loss Alabama team, both conference champions, one played nine conference games, one played eight conference games, like I, I never even, like I think I even got caught up in like the narrative of like, okay, of course, SC just gets a pass. But as I sat back and thought about it, I was like, well, whoa, whoa, whoa. Why wouldn't we have the discussion around Oregon, who's done what they've done, if they are able to win out and beat all the ranked teams that are in this CFP ranking initial one right now, over a one-loss Alabama team? What, what do you think? Am I crazy? I, I think I think that Oregon Georgia game rears its ugly head. Then that's what I. Well, think. it's a tiebreaker. Yeah, I mean that's obvious to me. It's a tie. If that's the case, it's a tiebreaker. I don't know how you you can't discount it. Right. I mean, I, I think it's your is it your body of work or how the team is playing it at that moment in the year? I think I think it's still the body of work. So, I think. That unfortunately, that Georgia game is in it's on Oregon's resume, and that's that's going to hurt them in a scenario like that. I would say I don't. I'm not saying that Oregon couldn't go in there and and win the thing at the at the point in January, the team they are in January. But unfortunately, the team they were in September has that that pretty bad loss on their resume. That's my take. Well, here and, and I I would add this. I think if I'm in Oregon's chair, and this is just. My view, if I'm Oregon, I'm rooting for USC to win out. Yeah. And I want them in the championship game because that's going to be my best credibility game. UCLA, again, UCLA could run the table and be a one-loss team in the championship game, but they just, their non-conference is going to hold them back a little bit. Um, so that would be my personal view. If I'm in Oregon's chair, I want you at, I should play them in the regular season this bad scheduling thing we often we've often talked about why that exists i won't go back there but um hopefully it goes away point being oregon needs to beat usc 
that's my that's going to be the most credible one. Remember, USC still has they not only have UCLA, they have Notre Dame. Now, Notre Dame is not a, a ranked team right now, but they're only three losses. They're a respectable program, and if they beat Clemson, if this weekend they will be ranked again if they beat Clemson. So my point being, USC has a chance to add another decent, two more decent wins, I should say, between uh, uh, UCLA and Notre Dame. Yeah, yeah, it'll be it'll be fun. And Oregon has Oregon State, by the way, who's a ranked team. We should mention that. Yeah, Oregon will have played everybody. Yeah, who's ranked, right? And UCLA, if they are to win out, they'll have to play somebody again in the title game, mm-hmm. which TCU would be the only team that has to do that. I think we would presume potentially in the big 12 because the way that's set up all right so uh, we'll be back every week we'll we'll break the cfp down it'll be fun to see how this thing shakes out after the initial one um and we'll kind of see what the mindset is of the 13 people and the new ones in the room and you know if we get a colorado game it was always fun ted for you and i sit down with rick george kind of take us through you know what that what that's like because he's on the committee you know so it's always fun to get a little insight of and last year just real quickly last year rick gave us a chance he showed us the binders he used and it was awfully impressive i was happy to see it I'm glad Rick shared that because it showed the amount of work and prep that he's putting in, you know, and Rick has a little football in his background too. So he was able to get deeper than just being a data processor. <laughs> he was looking at football, football. Yeah. Yeah. Amen to that. Yeah, All yeah, right. I got to get this in. Get it in. The chairman, Boo Corrigan for, comes from a very intelligent family. I just need to get that in. I love that. I love that. Okay. All right. So uh, we had a fun one over the weekend. SC. Arizona flying home kind of what were some of your thoughts once that game kind of seeped in I say that because we've become the Arizona you know team (laughs) four straight games for the Wildcats four and five weeks for our crew Um, it'll be fun to get them one more time in Salt Lake City Uh, but curious Ted what what were kind of your thoughts as you see both of these teams moving in November it's grown for me over the three times we've seen Arizona already they're Oregon State of a year to a year and a half ago they're just there they're on the brink and they now have to find that way to turn the close losses, the competitive games. I mean, they they had a two-point play late in the third quarter to tie the game against USC. All right, I mean, that's how close they were. But they're losing, and that's the point. The common denominator is they're losing the games. How do they flip some of those into wins? And to me, it's, I think, having watched them in person three times as you know, someone who's just who's watched a lot, they need defensive front. They just need defensive front. I mean, I came home and I'm thinking, I didn't talk about their defensive linemen at all. Make a play. Somebody impact the game, at least on a play. And and Jed knows this. We know Jed Fish understands. He needs defensive help across the board, but they really need some people up front that can impact individual plays during a game. And, uh, and it was funny because before the game, I talked to Alex Grinch on the field and just had a little, you know, five minutes with him alone, which was nice. But I asked him, kind of what I do. Hey, you've been away from the conference for a while. You've been in the these other big leagues. You come back. What do you think? And the essence of the comment was the difference is not speed, big speed. He said everybody has speed, but big speed is what you see in the other parts of the country, in the other big leagues. And that's not what we have as much of in the pack. And he's talking about linemen, big linemen that can run, right? And probably big linebackers and big offensive linemen. We we marvel at Oregon's offensive line and how they do that. Big offensive linemen that can get to the, quote, second level, unquote. That's what Grinch was talking about. That's where, to me, I hope Arizona can find player, players, 
in the next year or two on the defensive front with big speed? Big speed. I, I was in the orbit of some big speed in Rob Gronkowski, where I got to meet the day before <laughs> on, the, on the field. And I uh, took a photo with him. And man, did I never look, I've never looked smaller in a photo than I've standing next to Rob Gronkowski. That was, that was pretty fun and kind of spins me back to what Jed keeps doing is they're not winning, but they are playing entertaining football. And the atmosphere is incredibly entertaining. And I think uh, we've said it before, but I think that's what I think that's what we need. And I think players, this these big speed players, these defenders, they're going to have to go out and get. They're going to see the atmosphere. I think that's a selling point to recruits. Is this is a great atmosphere to play in, and we're building. And I think I think you know I just see that upward trajectory of this team, and I wouldn't stun me if they get a surprise win or two before the season's over because they can do it. You know, they can out arena football you for sure. Yeah, heck, it, it could happen this weekend, right? We've seen teams move the ball against Utah's defense, whether it was SC in a bunch of different ways, the throwing game. We saw Oregon State. We called that one running the ball. Uh, and we'll see who's who's healthy for the Utes this weekend. Hopefully they get Cam Rising, Dalton Kincaid, uh, the defensive lineman didn't play last week as well. To me, flipping it to USC, uh, I thought it was a culture win, much like Utah's was mm-hmm. on Thursday night, like, we entered that game and we knew about the three guys in terms of Jordan Addison and two linebackers, Eric Gentry and Raylan Goforth. And as the game inched closer, we learned about an offensive lineman. As the game began, you learn that Mario Williams isn't playing and you're just kind of watching this thing shake out. And you're saying, whoa, how are they going to adjust to this thing? And I just, I go back to what Coach Peterson, Chris Peterson told us when he got the job. We said, Coach, how long does it take to instill a philosophy in a program? Without flinching, he said, 18 months. Lincoln Riley has done it in about eight months yeah. and all the players have just blindly bought in. And as we're watching the game and I'm thinking, okay, we know offensively who they brought in in the portal. How about the guys who are affected by that? Taj Washington, Kyle Ford, career day for Kyle Ford. These guys had two ACLs, didn't bail, blindly trusted defensively. He brought in a bunch of unproven guys. Eric Gentry had a high ceiling, hadn't seen it. We knew Makai Blackman, but he took it to another level. You look at some of the D linemen, didn't know what Solomon Bird would be like. Didn't know what a lot of these guys would be. And I just, Tyrone Teleni, a, a bunch of those players. And I was like, the blind trust for Lincoln Riley and how he's curated that has been fascinating. And he's been great with us, kind of sharing the insight around that development. And I, I just thought it was on display. A lot of year one teams lose that game. Yeah. And, and I would offer this up too. having, this was the third time we'd seen the Trojans and I was, that was the most impressed I was by Caleb Williams. Yeah. He doesn't have his top two receivers and USC's pretty much started a trend. I mean, their formula is we're coming out throwing and then we'll get the lead. And now we're going to run you. And that's what they did. Even without their two top receivers, they were passed first in the first half into the third quarter and Caleb Williams delivered. And that was awfully impressive. Uh, on the flip side, I will say, Uh, Jaden Delora, having seen him three games in a row now, you know, Morgan Scally started last Friday. I'm sure looking at this going, okay, you know what you have to do. We've seen him three games in a row. Only one team had probably success half the game, pinning him in the pocket. And that was Oregon. Oregon kept Delora somewhat contained. The last two games we've seen, that minute Washington and USC, and look what Delora did. You have three receivers there that are darn, darn good three and it amazes me because i said it to you late in the game yogi saturday they played every snap those guys don't come off the field 
they're running 65, 70 snaps of patterns on every play, man, and they keep going. But those three receivers are good. Arizona will score points. You to, to play them, you better have a defense that can at least contain Delora reasonably in the pocket. Am I wrong? You are not wrong, bro. John Goodman. Am I wrong, dude? <laughs> so they had 75 snaps on offense. Dorian Singer played 74, Cowing 73, Tetsuroa McMillan 69. Yeah. To your so, point. I mean, I just don't remember the next, them coming off the field. Yeah. Yeah. The next receiver was that sounds like a good Anthony Simpson. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Yeah. Simpson uh, had a few in the first half, right? Yeah. 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 He had 13 snaps overall. Um here's the gonna be the interesting part is as we look at the game we're gonna have. I'm really curious to see what Morgan Scally does defensively. So pressure-wise, we know that Utah's they usually want to heat up the quarterback, as they would say. You look at them, Florida game, 38% of the game blitz against Anthony Richardson. You made him pay sometimes. UCLA, 39% of the game, they blitzed. DTR made him pay sometimes. USC, 33%, a little less. Cameron Ward, 16%. And in the last two and a half games, so I'm talking about second half of USC to Wazoo, um, and uh, well, who else? Who was the? Who was the other one? Um, yeah, you know, USC, Wazoo, and a little bit of UCLA. They're playing predominantly three safety looks now, so they're playing like forty linemen, two linebackers. So it's mostly Mo Diabate and Kareni Reed. Not a lot of Lander Barton, so that's changed. And now more three safety look with uh, the freshman Sione Vaki playing a bunch the last couple games. It's, it's going to be fun to see what they do. Do they just play a ton of zone coverage? Because that's what they did in the last couple games. It wasn't all the man-to-man that we've been accustomed to seeing, bring a bunch of pressure. They do on third down, but to your point, Ted, like you're playing man coverage. Jaden will hit, hurt you with his legs if your back's turned to him. The receivers will hurt you. We know that. So how does Utah mix and match this thing? Yeah, That'll be the, that'll be the storyline on Saturday night for us. I, I was intrigued watching their win over USC again, though especially the obvious situations when they got USC in the bad down and distance, they blitzed. They brought five, six repeatedly at Caleb Williams to force the issue. And, you know, that's, you know, USC scored 42 points. (laughs) Um, You know, Jaden Delore has been putting 35 to 40 up every week. And if you bring that heat on him, you, again, you better keep him in. If he gets out, as we know, he's good enough to play improv. And those three receivers are good. Hey, one thing, because it's, I'll say this real quickly on in Utah, because I, I was on um, uh, Spence Checkett's show this week in Salt Lake and everybody in Utah, I mean, Utah, they, they're passionate and they're sensitive about their program. And they're talking about the, the quarterback thing that happened in Pullman. And, um, you know, it, it obviously it relates to our business because we do TV. We're there, thankfully. And thankfully, the Pac-12 universities that own the network for whom we work, have insisted from day one that we are at games. Um, that fiasco with not having the quarterback right when Utah came out could be eliminated if you just spent a few dollars, Fox, and sent your announcers. Or in Michael's world, you have a sideline reporter that would help point all that. But but I also think there is a little responsibility to the to the football team too. And this is my point. Think about it from Bryson Barnes' standpoint. Bryson Barnes a walk-on. It's a walk-on. Yog made his first career start in a road conference game that had some version of national presence. He deserved to have the announcer talking about him 
and a graphic of his face up there and all the buildup for this kid. What a story to have this kid, a walk-on starting for a team that's in the top 15 in the country, blah, blah, blah. And he didn't get that. And the team could avoid that. You have 25, you know, it's not Kyle Whittingham. You got 25 people next to you, the coach. He's got 25 people running around, staff members, clipboard holders, managers. I was a manager, I know. 20 minutes before the game, you find out your quarterback's out. Hey, somebody job, just text the SID. And then the SID texts the announcers. Boom, rising out, Barnes in. That's about 60 seconds. That's how long that takes, right? And it's over. You've solved the problem. And then the kid at least gets his right due when he runs on the field to make his first college start. So I just hope that that mechanism is in place because it's a very simple thing to do. Yeah. You know, what's amazing is that Bryson Barnes last time he started a game was a senior in high school and completed it like to, to the point, obviously yeah. as a walk-on, but like you put it in that context and yeah, man, it was, it was a bummer on a bunch of levels and then to watch him play and watch him compete. I was like, wow, to, to learn the context that you shared of learning th- 30 minutes prior. My first text to the quarterback group that, that I mentor was every backup, go watch this, go study this guy. Yeah. Cause he took every mental rep under the sun for the entirety of his career to prepare for that moment. Cause it didn't look like he was shook. Didn't know what he was doing. He looked like he had just managed the situation, you know, not as Cam rising. He's limited in certain things that he does, but I thought that performance was, I voted for him for offensive player of the week amid <laughs> Bo Nix, amid Caleb Williams. Like they were off, but I was there like, you go. I just thought that was impressive. You know, there you go. So a very, very quick. No, I'm sorry, Michael, just a very, very quick story. I promise 2005, the big game, Cal Stanford. It's the year after Aaron Rodgers has left. So Cal, I forget who the quarterback was, but the week of big game, the quarterback can't go. And so Jeff Tedford has to go to the backup, who was a former walk-on, who actually changed positions to become a quarterback. First start. And he plays the game. I've interviewed him 15 years later, and he told me that the thing he treasured the most about the game was his parents have the tape, VCR 2005, that they put in because the announcer of that game was Keith Jackson. It was Keith's farewell year, and he was just doing Pac-10 games. But his family loved Keith Jackson is talking about this kid running out after everything he'd worked and earned to get a start. And they've got Keith Jackson talking about him. That's what I was thinking about. That's the moment. Well, Keith Jackson wasn't doing this game, but Bryson Barnes deserved to have Petros talking about him. As he, as he's, but I'm just saying that was what I was thinking about. Was that's the moment? And I know coaches don't think about that. I understand they don't. Their their minds are way other places but somebody next to him can tell him that yeah and that it's not that hard yeah well i would say this is not a an attack on the announcers or the production team but it's difficult what why do we get that information from coaches we get that information because we've built relationships and we have trust and when they say don't say this until the game starts we never have but if you're sitting in a studio in los angeles and you haven't even met these people or you haven't seen them in three or four years, I think it's difficult to build that trust. And I think that's what one thing that people don't realize that those making the financial decisions, if you're not having your announcers on site at the game, building relationships, building trust, things like this can happen. There's a bunch of mechanics too of not being there to make it happen. But I think ultimately 
the trust is a the lack of trust is a problem. Um, the other thing I want to say about this is when you are complaining about transparency and honesty, and you're standing in Los Angeles with a green screen behind you, projecting an image of Pullman, and literally I watched the tape twice, yeah. looking right at the screen and saying, "Welcome to Pullman." You are basically starting your show with a disingenuous moment, and uh, thank you. That's about as opposite to anything I think of as hello friends. So there you go. <laughs> thank you. And, and I've said this, I said this yesterday, the show I was on as well. Now I've called the last two Olympics from the United States, but in both cases, I never said I was in Tokyo or Beijing. And in both cases, NBC had a reporter at the venue site. We had a reporter there for the exact scenario that was confronted in Pullman last week. So that's the point. And, and I've just, I'm not, believe me, everybody wants to blame it. My point is not to blame. My point is the there is a very simple remedy. And if you think about it, you know, because I know football teams don't think about it this way, but if you think about it in the case of your student athlete, that remedy took 60 seconds and would have given the kid his due. Yeah. I'll never forget uh, the, the, the old civil war, Oregon state, Oregon, no longer that title, but Ted, you and I called it with Michael. 2018, 2019. Oh, yeah. And we're thinking yeah. Jake Luton is starting yes. all week long. He's going through warm-ups. He's throwing in warm-ups. And I just go down to the field like we always do, say hi to the head coaches to this point. I was talking to Jonathan. Hey, and, and, you know, you're just trying to get a little nugget here or there, an update on somebody. And he kind of whispers over and he says, hey, uh, Jake's not going to go. Tristan's going to get the nod. And that changed the whole open, the whole dynamic of the show. We had it. We had it. Uh, I don't know, maybe, Michael, what, three, four minutes. But everyone in the truck is, you know, organized. Okay, change the graphics. Let's get his stats or whatever it was. And that was the other thing I thought of, of like, oh, yeah, coaches do that. And it happened last week prior to the SC game. You know, we get a, a note from a coach on the sideline of who's going to go and who's not going to go. And it just helps them. Yeah. Part helps of everything. it's trust, but part of it's the fact that, as we just said, and Kyle Whittingham said at his press conference, he has so much going through his head when he finds out 30 minutes right to start that this has happened. But if he sees you or Ted all of a sudden, oh yeah, TV. Right. Like, I don't really think it's a, I don't think it was a diabolical plot to not, no. to keep it close to of the vest. I just think it was, I'm not thinking about TV right now. And until I see someone from TV, now I am for a second. And I think that's probably how it, how it e goes. Easily, now that's exactly my point. I understand that it's not a blame again. It's just something that's easily correctable. Speaking of easily correctable, I'm going to address the other issue that is out front, which is the end of the first half in Tucson, which was just mishandled. And um, I, I, you know, everybody's talking about it. I personally am not going to throw my credibility down the drain. It was mishandled. It was, it was very poor. And my, my concern is it's easily correctable. This was not a judgment call. This is not a pass interference or a holding or a roughing the passer judgment call. This is administration of the game, and that needs to be corrected. I do not understand why HQ doesn't get involved and buzz like they do on targeting calls, crazy targeting calls that we stopped the game for to review, buzz and say, wait a second, that's wrong. Put the ball down, five seconds to go, clock starts on, you're ready to play, USC knows it, let's go. And that is, it, it. it's just the right thing. When everybody on the planet can see that you messed up, fix it in the moment. It's easy to do. 
and don't hide behind procedures and rule books as a shield. That to me is very frustrating because it just enables two narratives to continue that shouldn't. One is the level of officiating in the conference. And now secondly is the QAnon conspiracy stuff that's jumping around. You don't need that. And you could easily stop it by doing something that's correctable easily. Okay. <laughs> I've, I've, I believe there still is a line in the rule book about reviews that says egregious errors are correctable regardless. I know in the rule book, it says you can't review the starting of the clock, but also the egregious errors is still in there too. And I would say that to me, that would, would have fallen into that category. Yeah, that was chaos at the end of the game. And you're right, Ted, we, we don't need that uh, on yeah. a bunch of fronts. I watched, and here's the other point I was going to make. So I didn't know this until I watched it a second time last night. The USC-Utah game, which was a terrific game, terrific game, drama, excitement, all of the, I know there was a lot of questionable stuff that went on during the game, but it was a terrific college football night in a great atmosphere. The last two minutes of the first half took in real time 24 minutes to play with not one single television commercial. Don't blame TV. There was not one TV commercial. It took 24 real-time minutes to play the last two minutes of the first half. That is administration failure of the game. It can't happen because you're selling, it's entertainment, you're selling tickets. And I understand it was drama and exciting, but if any of us did our jobs with that efficiency, we would likely be looking for a new job. And that's just the point I'm making is that the administration of the game, and I'm not talking about the judgments. And by the way, let me just add one last thing. Watch real sports, watch the new real sports, because I'm Yogi, you, you and I were talking on the field to the officials about this the other day in Tucson, Michael, you're with the referee every week. I said something to the officials in Tucson. I don't know what they pay you guys, but it's not enough because your job's so hard. Real sports did a piece about the trouble that, sports all across America is having with official. We're having an, an official drain and it's going to hurt sports at all levels. So I'm not questioning judgment calls. It's the administration of the game that has really been troublesome the last month. Yeah, I'd say maybe our our leaders should uh, watch what they tweet and retweet. It might help the situation. I'll just leave it at that. Well, I'll say this. Let's go to, uh, I want to talk, talk about two games. Uh, I want to talk about Washington State-Stanford because neither team has a lot of margin for error, right? Like a bowl game still exists for them. But I think for David Shaw, this is the fifth straight year they have a set-the-expectation game. We called the very first one against Arizona State five years ago. This is when Brenda Tracy, who comes on campus every year, who David Shaw has all of his players sign up, set-the-expectation pledge prior to practice number one when you're a freshman. That pledge states that you understand the importance of sexual and relationship violence on college campus and that you will do your part to set an expectation that when you walk into a room as a football player, people feel more safe, more secure, more confident. And I just love that. And I know Stanford hasn't had the season. They've had a ton of injuries and, you know, they get another, another injury at running back. Like it, it'll be hard for them to string a bunch of wins together here at the end of the season, I think. But I absolutely love what David Shaw did because he was the first one the first head coach that made this a game. And we've seen dozens of set the expectation games around the country from Ann Arbor to Texas. I mean, you, you name the school. They've asked Brenda Tracy to come on in. And I just think 
that 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 deserves a little bit of airtime for what David Shaw has built around that program. And yeah, that's a priority. I mean, I, I talk to colleges and training camp a lot and I say, hey, when you walk into a party, what do people feel when the football players show up? They feel scared or they feel like confident when I'm five foot two and I'm a freshman female on campus. Am I feeling like, hey, somebody's got my back? And I, I just love how David has set the precedent there. And this is the fifth year in a row that they have that game. And Brenda will be there. It'll be on our networks. I'm sure whoever's calling it on our crew will be all over it because uh, it's a moment that deserves some airtime. As a, a father of a female entering college next year, I, I, all I can say is Brenda Tracy is a hero and not just because she's told, told her story, but she's used her story to create action. And I mean, David Shaw's integrity is, what can you say? It's every time you talk to him, like David Shaw, I'll give you a little Bill Walton, David Shaw, thank you for your integrity in this sport. <laughs> it's so desperately needed. Yeah. Amen to that. All right. So let's go to UCLA ASU because this is kind of like the sneaky intrigue game. And we're going to finish up talking, of course, the Friday night game of Oregon State and Washington. But I say that because we've never seen this before. This late in the season, Sean Aguano says, I'm going to call the plays as the interim head coach. He's going to start a walk-on or former walk-on in Trenton Bourget. And Arizona State has ruined people's CFP dreams in November in their stadium. Hello, Justin Herbert. Roll the Brandon Ayuk highlight film from back in the day. And congrats to Jaden Daniels because he's got an LSU team on the brink of doing something cool from a transfer from ASU. But UCLA ASU. Ted, what do, you, what do you think here? Is Zach, Zach Charbonnet almost hit 200 again last week on the ground? Yeah. Going in to play a very active front that I'm sure will be as confident as they've been since Herm Edwards was relieved of his duties. Yeah. Well, I, um, look, UCLA is living up to what Chip wants. Chip wants to run. He always has, and he's running it and he's doing it. And I would assume he's going to run it again. And the other story about this is, you know, we talk about walk on quarterbacks. How does a kid who goes to Florida and then transfers to ASU, you know, and now you've got a walk-on playing quarterback, Trenton Bourdais, who's earned it, who's earned it. Good for him. And it's, uh, it's awesome. So look, UCLA has to be careful because their eyes are all on their game because they have the Rose Bowl field for November 19, but they've got to get there. So, I mean, it's hard because we haven't seen ASU play this year. So it's hard to, I, I shouldn't say that you guys saw them. I haven't seen them play this year. So I'm not sure how their defense uh, is going to measure up against UCLA's run game. Yeah. Michael, what do you think about that one? I think you've got a quarterback and an interim head coach with nothing to lose. So I, I can't even imagine some of the, uh, some of the plays you might see. I think, I think the ASU fan base is, I think they're going to be out. Uh, they're going to be out pretty, pretty vocal and pretty excited because they do know what you said. They know the history. They love, any team loves to be, if you got nothing left, to, you have nothing left for yourselves, what's the thing you got? To be a spoiler is one of the greatest things you can do. So I, I, I think it's going to be a tough, tough game for UCLA, but I do agree with Ted that can can ASU stop the run? That's going to be the question. Yeah. And get a couple turnovers, get a couple turnovers. You may not need to. Yeah. I, I, I'm I'm excited for UCLA. I think this is a moment for their program to, to prove that they're veteran-laden. Because they are. It's also great to see Bill McGovern back on the practice field for UCLA. He missed their most recent game due to an illness. So uh, wishing him the absolute best. All right. So let's get to the game of the week, which is Friday night. We'll be watching it in Salt Lake City. Number number 23. 
Oregon State. How's that sound in the CFP against probably somewhere 26 to 30 UW if the rankings continued? The winner, I think, will be ranked no matter what if, if UW does get the upset. It's in Seattle. Both teams coming off a bye. Love that part of the scheduling. No more buys in Pac-12 football after uh, really from here on out. So what do we think will tilt this one between the Beavs and the Dogs? Well, it's going to be a deluge of rain. I think like a, uh, <laughs> a, a a river a river of rain flowing through the air Friday night is what I read. Actually, just before I get on this pod, I, I, I didn't say it as well as the, the tweet did, but it's going to be wet. And how is that? Obviously, in Oregon State, uh, is the quarterback controversy over now, Yogi? I, I, I don't know. Um, but defense travels, right? And to me, Oregon State's defense is, especially on the back end, one of, if not the best in the conference. And can they slow down, shut down Washington's passing game? That's, that's, that's the battle right there, right? So yeah. I think they will. And I think the weather will help them. So I like the beefs. Ted, where's your head out there? Well, 76% chance of rain. Trent Bray had the great scheme against USC's pass game back in September when we were there. So he's going to have to do the same thing as you have, again, a pass game that's operating at a high level. And I'm sure the Washington people would argue with my take that about the Arizona receivers, they would talk about theirs and their pass game. Uh, so, yeah, that's uh, I'd be fascinated to see how Oregon State's defense schemes prepares to slow down and I, I wouldn't expect they could do it the way they did to USC that was brilliant but at least slow down Washington's offense yeah I, what was really fun for us when we were in Seattle is that we talked to the staff and, and they knew what was coming in terms of geography they know rain's going to come they know that the weather's going to be inclement and, and they're prepared for that so I'm curious to watch what Washington does amid a large amount of rain etc um in even more than rain yogi even more than rain i'm just getting if my thing's working again 15 to 25 mile an hour winds wow. that's worse than the rain yeah or pass game right you ain't lying yeah, yeah so this is going to be a game that we're I, I think for both of the coaches it'll be really intriguing to watch right because now do you think that it's more go for type situations on fourth down because you don't want to punt when you do punt is there's just one step punts and you just get the ball out like those little things I think we'll allow this to be what it's been in the past. There's a really tight game late and come down to some execution. Maybe who has a drive when the wind dies down. Like th this will be one to, to I, I, I couldn't pick it just based upon there's so many unique elements to it. Um, but as Michael said, defense travels and I think run game travels. So we'll see how that shakes out. If Wayne Twalapapa can have a big game and the running backs, Oregon state, you know, they get healthier and healthier. Who do they end up giving the rock to when it matters? So uh, a lot of fun games this weekend in the Pac-12. Uh, as, as we reference, we'll be in Salt Lake City. But before we get on the plane, Michael, our humanity moment of the week, what do you got? Well, one of the longest relationships in my life ended yesterday. But it wasn't a sad occasion. Actually, it was joyous. The journey began in 1999 and ended Tuesday at Chase Bank, when I made my final payment on my apartment in Boston. I didn't foresee it would be a remarkable moment anyway, but when the teller said, congratulations, it brought a wave of nostalgia taking me back to my 28-year-old self, making an uh, almost unimaginable 30-year commitment 
Unsurprisingly, there were many adjustments from the initial plan. In 2003, I got married, and the coldest winter in Boston history inspired my wife, Melly and I to move to her, uh, our house in Southern California. In the span of two years, I was engaged, married, moved across the country, became a parent, and last but not least, became a landlord. We kept the place in Boston, and for the last 19 years, I've rented it out. As I paid my final check, I felt a great sense of gratitude to those people who helped me along the way. The people willing to pay an outrageous sum to rent a 569-square-foot apartment in a building erected more than 130 years ago with this leaky roof, no air conditioning, no doorman, and no parking. To these fantastic tenants, thank you for your lives. To Nick, the only lawyer I ever rented to and ever will. To the young couple from Virginia, Matt and Jillian, not that Jillian, who are constantly painting and upgrading, turning my bachelor pad into a potpourri-filled, green and blue-walled bachelor pad. To Christy, the only one and done in the run. I don't think city life was her thing. To Anthony and Marcos, the international men of mystery. They convinced me to trust Venmo, and they took after Vince Lombardi with the rent payments. Never on time, always by the 15th of the preceding month. We persevered through the pandemic on separate coasts, but together, and in difficult times uh, for both the tenant and landlord, we made it work. Tom is my newest tenant, the fifth in 19 years, moving into September. He's two for two with a rent, off to a great start. With some creative refinancing, my payments ended with Kate, my oldest, scheduled to start college. Kate's taking a gap, Kate is taking a gap year and headed to Emerson in Boston starting next fall as things come full circle. I haven't decided yet if next year I'll have Tom send me the rent check or just walk it over to the Emerson's bursar's office to spare me the pain. That's great. I don't know where that was going. That was good. <laughs> I just kept thinking about Mr. and Mrs. Roper <laughs> renting to Suzanne Summers. That's what I keep thinking of you when I think of you and Melanie as landlords. I think I... I'm going to continue Google to it, be a kids. landlord. It's a lot nicer when it's all pro. It's uh, you're not ready to check the Jamie Diamond and Company. I will say that. God, nostalgia. I was like, man, in in 28 years, am I ever going to have that feeling? <laughs> on our I, know, I still have this. I still have this one for a long time, but at least one's done. Oh, speaking of done, uh, it's sad. Only four more games, and we will be done. But we'll stay connected with all of you on Pac-12 football. We got you covered better than anybody in America talking all things Pac-12 football. For Ted, Michael, I'm Yogi. We are presented by Bet Online. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for watching on the Believe Fast Network as well. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.